It's episode two of Kill Streak. We're back and we're here today to talk about Return of the Living Dead Part Two. Of course, you should go back and listen to episode one, where we cover, surprise, Return of the Living Dead. Uh, but today, we're going to talk about its sequel. I am Eric Goslin. I'm Mike Price. I'm the other host. He is champing at the bit. <laughs> I am ready to talk about Return of the Living Dead Part Two. And that's the full title. Part is part of the name. Yeah. And it's confusing because Return of the Living Dead 3, I've realized since doing this podcast, I have a hard time saying Return of the Living Dead. And I have a really hard time saying Return of the Living Dead Part 2 is streaming on stars. I nailed it that time, but it took me a <laughs> bit. Last night I couldn't say it, and uh, I, I had to re-record a bit to insert into the last episode. Yeah. And uh, it, may, it maybe took me one or two tries. Some exciting inside baseball stuff <laughs> yeah. for those of you following along at home. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah, we are just absolutely over the moon to talk about Return of the Living Dead Part 2 because we love this movie. Yes, both of us definitely think that this is a great movie that is of good quality yeah worth worth watching might even be superior to the original absolutely i could say it was a straight psych uh yeah no this movie blows yeah oh i i remember watching it um probably shortly after i watched the first one um back in the 90s and uh, boy, I loved the first one. I was like so impressed by it, and then this one bummed me the hell out. Yeah, so I saw this for the first time probably not too long after I watched Return of the Living Dead for the first time. So we'll say 13, 14 years ago, and I knew I didn't like it then, but I had very little memory of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot it. It's uh, it's a kind of a forgettable movie, I guess. Um, Ye- it really is. Um, and the, tonally, it's completely different from the first movie. It almost feels like a children's movie with some gore in it. Yeah. So I, uh, in my research, uh, dug up a little background on this. And yes, uh, the fact that it feels like a children's movie should not come as a surprise because the director of this movie kind of set out to make a children's movie. Um, he basically wanted to do kind of E.T. meets Police Academy meets Return of the Living Dead, which is just a fucking terrible stew of ideas that that does not work out. Yeah, because he definitely puts the Police Academy and the E.T. before the Return of the Living Dead, in my opinion. It, it, Return of the Living Dead seems like lowest on his list of yeah. things to honor. Yeah, there is uh, there is a litany of testimonies from the cast and, and and crew of this movie that Ken Wiederhorn, the director of this movie, just didn't like horror that much. He didn't care all that much about it. He wasn't well versed in the history of it. 
there's a famous brief uh, anecdote about the shooting of the movie. There's a, a famous B-movie and horror actor uh, named Forrest Ackerman, usually referred to as Forrey Ackerman. Um, and he has a signature look with his his glasses. And he actually showed up to play a bit part as a zombie. And the director, upon seeing him in a zombie makeup, said, oh, you got to take those glasses off, which was like, you don't ask Forrey Ackerman to take his glasses off or he's not yeah. Forrey Ackerman. That would be like telling Stan Lee in a Marvel movie to um, not be taken advantage of by his daughter <laughs> and caretakers. You just you wouldn't do it. No, absolutely. Uh, that's a perfect analogy, Eric. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I'll bust through just a little bit more background on this movie before we jump into uh, the mess. So uh, the returning uh, principles here on the production side is pretty much just limited to the producer, Tom Fox, uh, who's the guy who owns the rights to Return of the Living Dead. And he managed to bring back the special effects makeup guy, Kenny Meyer, who did a really good job on the first one. Um, as far as like the creative thrust on that side of the camera goes, that's pretty much it. A lot of people refused to come back. The producer, Graham Henderson, didn't want anything to do with it. Obviously, Dan O'Bannon had nothing to do with this movie, which is a shame because he's the driving creative force behind the first one. Yeah, and his, his um, absence... You can really feel it. Two people who did come back for this production, curiously enough, are two principal actors, James Karen and Tom Matthews, both of which played characters that died in the first movie. I mean, everybody died in the first movie. so uh, Right. Not a yeah, lot of survivors from the first movie. No, not unless you were uh, outside a 20-block range in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, so it, it almost feels like Evil Dead 2. In its setup, where it's like it's sort of retelling, it's not. Mm -hmm. It's not retelling the first movie, but there are very similar beats to the first movie. Yeah, and the comedy is ramped up. Mm -hmm. It recycles plot points. It recycles cast, but then sort of oddly recasts these two guys as different characters with a similar relationship, kind of going through the same thing. Yeah, the story arcs are really echoed. Um, and not, but as opposed to an Evil Dead Two, which I think most people can agree successfully builds on what the first movie has. This everything is lesser here. Uh, it's it's executed yeah. poorly. It really is. It's too slapstick. It's not. It doesn't even try to be scary. There's. I yeah. mean, I guess technically there are some jump scares, but it's you know it's. It has none of the attitude and nihilism of the first movie, which is one of the reasons why I love the first movie so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's uh, that's worth emphasizing because uh, we talked about this in the first episode. But Return of the Living Dead and Dan O'Bannon had a point of view and you can feel it from beginning to end in that movie. And this movie doesn't come close to having, I think, anything you could describe as a point of view even like a kind of a, a style, uh, you know, that that's apparent through the movie. Uh, it's really kind of a slipshod mess. It does, though. I will give it this. It uh, does have a zombie character that's recurring that I absolutely hate. <laughs> well, let's not. We'll get put to the that, card though. before the horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but with without further ado, I think with that little teaser, why don't we jump in? 
to the plot of uh, the regrettable sequel, Return of the Living Dead Part 2. Okay, guys, hang tight, because we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to recap this movie. We start on an army transport vehicle driving through the rain, and there's trioxin canisters from the first movie, similar to the first movie, bouncing around in the back. They're barely cinched in. They're just kind of jiggling around. The driver's blasting tunes and smoking a sweet spliff. It's got a little doob up there. Yeah, he's an army man, too. Yeah, very U.S. Army. (laughs) (laughs) He goes over a bridge, hits a bump, and two canisters fly out the back into the river. Uh, and only one of those canisters is ever addressed through the yeah. entirety of the movie. The second canister is just out there. Maybe they're Completely. setting that up for a third movie, which they do make, but has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Uh, so cut to a, a development uh, very similar to the neighborhood in E.T. Just feels like they went to Encino or wherever the fuck they shot E.T. It's Valencia. Valencia. They shot this in, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, totally. Um, there's a little boy, his name's Jesse. He's doing some weird, uh, transaction with these two bully characters where he sneaks a Spider-Man comic out to him and they're basically like, oh good, now you're in the club. And it's, you never really get the sense of like, does he like these guys? Does he want to be part of the club? And and this transaction, like I think you sort of hinted at, is very confusing to me. Like the kid kind of flips through it to check it. It's like a drug deal. Like he's tasting a little bit of the cocaine. He's like, "All right, this one will do." And it's like, "What? It's it's a Spider-Man comic. Like it's they're all the fuck. I mean, they're not all the same. Sorry, Spider-Man fans, but you know, you're gonna come on, West Slinger. (laughs) Um, man, we've already hit." stan lee where it hurts today and you're, you're further dragging his name through the mud how dare you um so they want to show him the clubhouse uh and it's through the cemetery uh oh the clubhouse is actually a mausoleum so i guess they just wanted to bully him and and lock him in this mausoleum uh mm-hmm. he gets scared elbows one of them and runs off into this drainage pipe under a bridge uh they chase him he tries to hide, but they get him. Uh, but hey, look at this. In the drainage ditch, the pipe is one of the containers. Billy, the head goon, I guess you could say, pops yeah, a canister and, open. And and uh, let's be honest. the These names should be switched. Jesse is a bully's name. Billy yeah. is this little blonde character. But it, no, they reversed. It drove me nuts the entire time I was writing and taking notes. I always wanted to... S- call jesse billy and billy jesse billy pops the canister they get scared and they just run out of there uh but then the bullies do they catch jesse and they lock him in the mausoleum yeah they literally trap this kid inside a mausoleum and then and then peace out which like i know it was a different time in the late 80s but this is like (laughs) this like tantamount to murder like you can't like, no one's going to come out here, you would think, at least. Yeah. It was a different time, though. We used to ride our bikes in the woods, and nobody would... <laughs> Can, used I, to, I, yeah, I'm a we parent. used to lock nerds in abandoned refrigerators. Yeah, right? and now we can't even shake hands or leave our houses. Fucking A. <laughs> um, a van pulls up, and who's there? It's Joey, who's Freddy from the first movie, and Brenda his girlfriend, and Ed, James Karen, also from the first movie. They're back, and they're new characters. Yeah, get so now we, it's it's Joey and Ed instead of Freddie and Frank, right? Joey and Ed, yeah. Okay. 
and uh, their new thing, they're grave robbers, baby. <laughs> Classic. Who, Everybody knows a, a grave robber. Who's a grave robber in the United States of America in the late 80s? Like Joey and Ed. I guess so. What, how much money can there possibly be in grave robbing? What are they robbing? I guess the jewels, the precious yeah. jewels. But I feel like it, this isn't – it's not an Egyptian tomb. Are they burying these people with a lot of jewelry? It's it's a real crapshoot. You'd have to – you know, you're going to go through a lot of dead bodies to find, like, a diamond ring. 100%. Um, and really what they should have done is made them skeleton farming – like in the first movie, they allude to at the medical supply store because uh, they have skeletons and they're like, well, maybe there's a skeleton farm in India. They should be skeel- stealing skeletons to sell to a medical supply store. Um, but hey, you know, I wasn't there in the room. Ed and Joey enter the mausoleum. They chase Billy off. He runs off like a little bitch. <laughs> Not before ha- falling through a coffin yeah. and having an encounter with a pretty gross-looking skeleton. Yeah, and he kind of talks himself out of it. He's like, it's just oh, a yeah. little bit of decayed matter. Oh, yeah. He has this – This whoever wrote this line of dialogue has, I guess, never spoken to a child before. He, Jesse's line, I have it written down too. It's, it's, this is, this is, he, he falls through a coffin and he goes, just a little decayed matter, nothing yeah. to get unhinged about. It's like, <laughs> he's talking to no one and he's talking like a character in a black box play. It's, it's, this, <laughs> this movie, my expectations were low coming in and the first 20 minutes just really beats you down. It's just, you go from one thing to the next and character relationships don't make sense the dialogue's not very good and yeah i'd like to address right now out of the gate like we've we're 10 minutes into the movie and the score to this movie is so dated it's so chintzy it's all one instrument it's literally just one synthesizer Mm-hmm. And it's like you talked about kids movies before. Like this sounds like it sounds like a fucking like the fourth sig- uh, sequel to Three Ninjas or something. It's like the production <laughs> value is that bad. Um, we cut to uh, uh, Jesse's sister, Lucy. She's doing aerobics. Great. Good scene. It yeah, you, you think this is going to lead somewhere, but it doesn't really. No. Um, and then back in the drainage pipe. The uh, the bullies crack open the canister, uh, and they type on this this little keypad, and then green smoke starts pouring out, and they get the fuck out of there. Yeah. Again, just back and forth. This whole movie is really just back and forth, back and forth, mm-hmm. like characters just going from one place to another. Right, and this is – I mean, I think this is also something you see uh, multiple times in the movie. This is the same characters returning to the same scene – uh, where it's just like they leave and then they return and it's like why why did we have to leave this drainage pipe in the first place why did we, why did Jesse have to get locked in the mausoleum like we're just back where we were ten minutes ago yeah I guess they just wanted to connect Jesse with Ed and and um, Joey but we don't really need that no like we don't and they, they barely have a be... relationship yeah know? it's it's not like. Remember, kid, when I met you in that mausoleum and you ran away without saying anything to us? Um, 
yeah, just never really comes back. It really would have been so much cleaner if this all of this business just yeah. happened in the first interaction with the, totally. with the canister. Yeah. My my note here literally just says, "Wait, what? These kids are just back at the tank again?" Like <laughs> they ran away in fear because uh it was clearly very threatening and then without any explanation, no they never discuss it. We don't see them make a decision to come back. It's just like all of a sudden they're back in this fucking tube again. Yeah. Uh, so the gas starts drifting through the cemetery, just like the smoke in the first movie. Um, but it is nowhere near as cool or as epic looking. It's like during the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. And then once again, just like the first movie, it starts to rain and it drips onto the graves and the water seeps down into the ground. Uh, the green gas starts to pour into the mausoleum just as Ed and Joey take the lid off this woman's corpse. And um, Ed has one of the weirdest lines in the movie at this place. He looks at her. He says, not bad. A nice bit of rump in her time, eh? Yeah, this is a completely decayed corpse. She looks like beef jerky. (laughs) There's no way he could know if she was ever attractive. And even if she was, cool the fuck out, dude. Yeah. And also, who says that? A nice bit of rump? A nice bit of rump. That's like you're buying stew meat. Um, Ed cuts her head off with an axe and holds it up as a kiss, kiss to Joey. And Joey just doesn't like any of this stuff. No. Uh, he, he, he wants to peace out, but then, um, Brandon. Well, and, so, and so then, uh, Ed wants to put, like, makes Joey hold open a bag, right? Right. And they put the head in this bag. And then Ed says that, you know, there's so many lines in this movie that feel like they're supposed to be punchlines or funny, but they're just not. And he, so Ed goes, now you know what a bag man is for. And it's like, wait, first of all, okay, that's not funny. Secondly, well, now that I know what a bag man is, it immediately prompts the question, why do you need a bag man? You need someone to hold open a bag for you while you put a head in it? That's also, is that what a bag man is? No, it's not what a bag man is. Yeah, I thought a bag man gets the money from somebody, right? Yeah, a bag know. a bag man is someone who like uh, doesn't exchange, you know, and like goes and picks something up. And this, so first of all, they're wrong on what a bag man is. Secondly, we're learning that this is just a profoundly unnecessary position <laughs> that he has drafted this new guy into. And how much money could be getting? He beginning. <laughs> I, I'm like I'm so caught up on that because like uh, whatever. Yeah. Um, what are that... they going to sell this decrepit head for? Like, what is the market value of that head? I think he's gonna he's gonna do something to that head. Maybe he's keeping that head for himself. I mean, it is uh, often nice piece of rump. <laughs> Back in Jesse's room, he's reading this uh, comic book. Um, it's called the World's <laughs> Shittiest. Comic. It looks terrible. It's called Master Man, and on the cover, <laughs> Master Man is saying, "My Master Blast is only making it stronger, and it's growing." It looks. <laughs> Like garbage. I love I love fake comic books and movies when they have to like make up a superhero. But yeah. then they show they showed Spider Man earlier. Why right. I don't know. But they like and they they clearly like made somebody on the crew draw this comic book. Yeah. One like, of the art guys had to make that. Yeah. And it's not that good. It's a lot better than I could do, but <laughs> Yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> but I don't think anybody is you're not gonna sell that comic. Um so Jesse wants to sneak out to get Billy for some reason. He he looks out his window and he sees Billy and the other um, 
uh, bully coming home. They're acting shifty, and he wants to go over there and see what's up. And what is their relationship? Right. This kid lives across the street. He wants to go check on him, but also, like, he just locked him in a fucking mausoleum. Yeah, he doesn't seem to – whatever. So he wants to sneak out to go to Billy's house, and uh, on his way out, someone rings the doorbell. It's Dana Ashbrook from Twin Peaks. Uh, Bobby. Bobby Briggs. Uh, In this movie, is Tom Essex. Uh, He's the cable repair man, and he meets a sister. He's clearly into the sister. They're setting him up to be this love interest. Uh, And then Billy takes – no, Jesse takes that. uh, (laughs) There I go again. Yeah, the third of 14 times that's going to (laughs) happen. Jesse takes that opportunity to sneak to Billy's house. Uh, He has to sweet talk his mom who says Billy's not feeling well. Uh, but he, t- he says he got his homework and he goes up there. Billy looks like shit. He's sick. He's got a dry cough. Uh, and his mom checks his temperature. It's below normal. Just mm. pretty similar to the first. So Jesse asks Billy, you went back there, didn't you? He's like, if you tell anybody, your ass is grass. Uh, so Jesse gets fully dressed up in COVID-19 PPE <laughs> and goes into the drainage pipe again. Yeah, so this is the third scene in the drainage pipe now. Number, oh, God. Um, goes into the drainage pipe. He finds the canister. There's a number written on the side. It's a different number than what was in the first movie. Um, but wait, it's smashed. He shines his, and there's no body in there anymore. And he shines his flashlight on a zombie. We got a tar man. Yeah, so we have a reappearance of a tar man here only like all things in this movie it is a pale imitation of tar man from the first film which is funny because they spent more time and money on this one than they did on the first one and you can tell that they spent more money but i think in the wrong ways i think all of the zombie designs in this movie just look worse even though they look more expensive if that makes any sense yeah, I think this is – you'll see this uh, at times in different productions and things, but I I prescribe to this, the theory that people under pressure of time and lack of resources and money, like when you stretch things and you get creative, a lot of the time you actually end up with really cool results when you force people, you know, to really push, right? And this one, they doubled the budget for this movie almost – uh, and like, for instance, Kenny Myers, the special effects guy, he came on halfway through the first movie. He had all of pre-production this time. He had a bigger team. He got to put together himself. And the, like you said, the results are lesser. Um, in the example of this, like Tarman two, the entire face now is animatronic. Uh, whereas in the first right. one, it's just like glass eyeballs set in a mask and it looks much less scary. And it honestly, like it looks less realistic too. Yeah, absolutely. And it was the same actor who played Tarman, right? Yeah, so they brought back uh, – his name is Alan Troutman. Uh, and this is a fun story that, that gives you a look inside what the production of this movie was like. So this is one of the other people from the first movie that they brought back. They told him, hey, we're doing Tarman again. We want you to play it. He says, cool, I'm in. They say, how do you feel about coming in on a non-SAG contract? So not giving him his union minimum. He says, no, absolutely not. I'm a SAG actor. Uh, I pay my dues. You need to pay me what you pay a SAG actor. So right. they can, Especially they, on like an $8 million movie. Yeah, seriously. So they conceded. They pay him the full amount. He comes out. They get him in this suit. 
he's got to take this big spill out of this drainage pipe into the water below. Um, and it's a huge scene. They spend a bunch of time getting ready for it. And they say, hey, this suit, you know, you know what? We're not sure what's going to happen. You're either going to float like a bobber or the foam rubber is going to absorb all the water and you're going to sink like a stone. But it's cool. We got a guy <laughs> in a scuba mask down there who's going to yank you out. Um, so he's a little sketched out by this. They go through first take. The stunt guy tells him, hey, when you're falling, make sure to flail your arms around so you look like you're alive, like you're a real person. Because a lot of times people just freeze up and then it looks like a dummy falling. Right, right. So they do this take. He forgets to flail his arms around. Uh, they, he floats. They pull him out of the water. He, you know, he's thinking to himself, okay, first take wasn't great. We're going to do it again. The director, Ken Wiederhorn, says, great, we got it. Moving on. Troutman actually says, are you sure you don't want to do another take? My arms weren't moving. It didn't feel that good. He says, no, we're good. We're moving on. And I think that's like a microcosm of what probably happened on this set. You know, just he, right. he, he wasn't there to get the best takes and to put all his time and energy into it. And like, I don't want to totally shit talk a guy I've never met on a set that I wasn't on. But this movie feels like that kind of movie. It does. Uh, so Jesse gets behind him, like you said, pushes him into the water, runs out of there. He runs through the cemetery, takes a breather, and what's this? There's a hand pushing up through the dirt. Zombies start popping out of the ground. And we get a lot of zombie slapstick just in these first few minutes of seeing mm-hmm. zombies. Yeah. Uh, we get, like this weird librarian one who like does this bit where she puts her glasses on and can see better. And there's one like Pratt falls into a grave. Uh, another just keeps getting stepped on three times because comedy rule of threes. And it's just too silly, like not yeah. menacing at all. No, it's Which, it's it's got um, kind of just a goofy vibe to it, you know? right? Whereas the first one did was able to be scary and cool and also funny. Yeah, uh, and use the zombies as jokes, like calling for more paramed- paramedics and stuff. But in this one, they just I don't know. Did not do that. Um, so Brenda's back to pick up Ed and Joey. She looks so fucking hot. <laughs> Sorry. Brenda, no, it's, <laughs> she's she's an attractive woman. And she it's is. A very, it's a very nice thing for you to say about her. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I probably could have said it in a better way. Yeah, but, probably. You know, right? I was just writing writing from my gut here. These are yeah, my, I mean, these are my want, notes. <laughs> we're not trying to pretend you're not a creep. Um, Yeah, so if she looks familiar to anybody, uh, the actress here is Suzanne Snyder, who I immediately recognize as Deb from Weird Science. So she's like the girl that Anthony Michael Hull pursues through through that movie. Right. Uh, But she's got she's got some other credits to her name. Uh, I think the the big one for fans of horror. She's she's got a a decent sized role in Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And she is also uh, in a movie called Night of the Creeps. I love that movie. Yeah. Well, let's uh, maybe maybe it'll come up later. Who knows? Um, Oh, interesting. So uh, Brenda runs into a zombie. She punches it in the face and it just caves in with green goo coming out. It looks cool, but also the green goo is completely out of nowhere. Yeah, it has no uh, – there's no justification. It has no place here. Like you said, it looks cool, but the second she punches a zombie, its face implodes, and there's green 
gook everywhere. Yeah. And my immediate response was like, wait, is this something I'm supposed to be familiar with? Like the physics of the zombie's head are completely different from anything in the first movie. The green goo is totally new. Like what? It looks it, like Nickelodeon slime. It does, and it's it's one of these things where it's like they. I think they just did it because they could, and nobody thought about whether or not it was a good idea. Um. So in the mausoleum, Ed's eating an apple, and then the body next to him rises from the grave, and it looks like the crypt keeper, but also <laughs> like shit. Um. <laughs> they get freaked out. They run out of there. There's zombies everywhere, and they they make a run for it. Ed just wants to leave without Brenda and Joey's like, yeah, hey, we gotta, we gotta wait for Brenda. And Ed's like, what about me? Yeah. Uh, but then Brenda's just there. Like they just run into her. Completely. They actually run past each other briefly. And it's right. Like, right. It's a weird, it's like, again, one of these things, like, I guess, is this supposed to be a joke? Maybe, like maybe Keystone not. cops almost. Yeah. Um, Jesse gets back to his house. He surprises his sister and he's just raving about zombies. So she does what any, normal person would do to her brother and she locks him in his room <laughs> people very, love locking this little shit in place <laughs> yeah, it's true maybe it's jesse you know yeah. like he's the common denominator of uh, uh, like with all of these forced lock-ins <laughs> i mean he has yeah he has one of those faces you know you think about a, like a punchable face he has like a lockable in a room face I just want to fucking lock this kid in something. <laughs> Not for, like, my own keeping, just to, like, get him out of here. Yeah. Um, so uh, the grave robbers, they're running through the graveyard. They run into the uh, development where, where Jesse lives, and they spook Billy's parents, who comes – Billy's dad comes running out with a fucking shotgun. Ed's begging him to shoot him because he, he thinks he did this because he it was grave robbing, and now all these zombies are coming to get him. Zombies come. They get inside. Um, Jesse does this whole bit of business where he lights a smoke bomb in his room. It sets off the fire alarm. His sister yeah. comes in, unlocks a door. It's it's uh, to be honest, it's like confusing and it's a weird diversion from the rest of the plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the timing of this doesn't make any sense. Like the house next door is. You know, we're we're following Ed and Joey who have like this is the this is the plot line that should matter, right? These guys fleeing from zombies. And we take like a weird five minute break for this kid to like set up a fucking Yeah, like a yeah. whole uh, like it's a, like a reverse trap. I don't know. It confused the shit out of me. I hated it. It it <laughs> And so what he does the sister opens a door, he runs past her, goes into his parents' room, closes and locks that door, and then uses their phone. And really what should it should have just it, it should have been was he gets home, his sister's mad at him for being out, they yell at each other, they have a, a sibling spat, he goes upstairs and just makes the fucking phone call. We don't need this other stuff. Right. Well, I mean, I, you almost wonder, you, this script, uh, oddly enough, just like the first movie, same writer-director, Ken Wiederhorn, uh, not only directed but wrote this script too. And again, we've talked about this being being a guy who maybe his heart wasn't completely in this, and it's like this feels like stretching. It feels like they're padding yeah. out the plot. Um, so he calls the number that he wrote down that was on the side of the canister, and it's the army. We we see um, who I think is the colonel from the first movie. Is yeah, that it's him? The same, yeah, it's the same actor for whatever reason. They're like, oh, yeah, we got to go get the same guy to play Colonel Glover again. Got to get that guy. Um, so then Brenda, 
this is all confusing. Uh, Brenda and Joey and Ed run away from Billy's place and they steal Tom's TV repair van. Yeah, Tom Essex. Tom Essex. Who is really Bobby Briggs from Twin Peaks. That's the only name I'm going to refer to. Yeah, he's sort of Bobby Briggs light in this movie. Yeah, he's like if Uh, Bobby was a good guy. Yeah. Well, I would say Bobby. Did you watch The Return? Yeah, I watched The Return. (laughs) It's great. It's fantastic. It's much better than it has any right to be. I think that, you know, we're looking at a young Dana Ashbrook, so I'm thinking about Twin Peaks season one. You know? Sure. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, they steal the van, and but they immediately hit a zombie and crash. Very yeah. similar to how um, Bert and uh, Spider immediately crashed their car in the yeah. first movie. I chuckled a little bit at this. Yeah, I like that. They hit the zombie. Uh, Billy's dad comes running out. They flip the zombie body over. It's a woman with, like animatronic worms hanging out of her face yeah again weird it's like a weird uh, yeah it's too much it's Mm -hmm. it looks too fake uh she grabs the dad and just bites his fucking head body count is up to number one numero uno on the charts probably 20 minutes into this movie um all the characters converge at jesse's house um the grave robbers the grave robbers explain uh, that they're, you know, the people outside are all dead. There's zombies. Uh, Joey collapses because he and Ed are starting to get sick. They breathe. Mm-hmm. They breathed in that green gas in the mausoleum. Yeah. And just then, the bag with the severed head starts moving. Ed pulls it out. It's a fucking zombie head. It's moving around. It bites him. He throws it. Everyone's freaking out. So Tom. Steps up to the occasion. He's our hero here. Picks up a screwdriver. And this is the point of no return for me. This is, yeah. This is when uh, this, this this movie lost the last, I lost the last bit of hope I had yeah. for this movie to turn around. He sticks the screwdriver in her head and the zombie says, get that damn screwdriver out of my head. It sounds it's just like a sassy southern lady. Yeah. It's oh. it's a it's just it's a joke, I guess. It's another one of these lines that it's like am I is that supposed to sound is this like a are they re- referencing something? Like get that screwdriver out of my head. Is that a classic gag? Like right. There's not even any attempt to be clever. Like I got a headache, which is right. not clever, but, but better than what she said. It's says. better than what she said, and I just came up with it now. Yeah. Uh- yeah, definitely. This, the whole thing. I mean, not to like go on too long about this because you know we've we've talked about it. this movie doesn't really work. But one thing I think that really dooms uh, this movie and the script is that it you can really feel them trying to be slapsticky and trying for jokes. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this before, you and I, where in horror movies, that's not it doesn't really work. That approach isn't it, – it's its so hard to pull off. What you really need to do is you need to play the material straight uh, and you let the circumstances be humorous. You let uh, the comedy sort of come organically from what's happening. It's like you're yeah. not writing a comedy. You don't want to write one-liners. You know? Right. Yeah, and I mean that's something I'm guilty of having made like four essentially horror comedies – 
They're, right. I mean, they're intentional. They're like trauma movies. They're not mm-hmm. going for any sort of high art. But, you know, you have the characters to a certain extent, they have to be taking the reality of what's happening seriously. Yeah. And otherwise, it's like the whole Leslie Nielsen in Airplane. It, it, if he was not playing it like a drama, it wouldn't be funny. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like why they go and cast guys like him and Robert Stack, these like very straight laced TV actors who. That's like you need the straight men, and there's no straight men in this. Everybody's fucking playing yeah. it at eleven, you know. Everybody's uh, crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, what's, that's it, a great point. Yeah. Uh, blue doesn't show up on blue. They say like crazy doesn't show up on crazy. Hmm. Um, so shit hits the fan. Zombies start busting out, uh, busting in. We need to get out of here. They need a car. So everyone runs out. They're sneaking around the cul-de-sac. They make it to this abandoned house. Uh, the sister gets jumped by a zombie, but Tom, Bobby Briggs, comes in to the rescue and pins it to the wall with a fire poker. Uh, meanwhile, Billy in his bed is convulsing. He's turning into a zombie. Yeah. Uh, his mom comes in to check on him. Uh, she also sees, goes outside and sees her husband dead and being eaten by zombies. She turns around. Billy's, uh, yeah, Billy's there. And she's like, oh, thank God you're better. She hugs him, and he says, brains, and bites her head. She's dead. They're trying to go for, like, a kind of emotional moment here, and it's completely yeah. unearned. Completely. Uh, so that, that brings the body count up to two. Um, our heroes break into this, like, professor-looking dude's garage. I didn't write his name down. It's like Dr. Doc Mandel. Doc Mandel. Um, he's playing it at 11, really going for it. (laughs) They need to convince him to get the keys to his classic car. And he's like, this car's a cherry. Nobody drives the princess, but me. They also like, there's a runner throughout the movie that he's an alcoholic and is always looking for a drink, but he doesn't act like an alcoholic remotely. He's like like sharp and like, like throwing out one liners constantly. Never seems drunk at all. Right. Yeah. He's not like a stumble bum. He's just, he's like, a guy probably yeah he doesn't it doesn't read as alcoholic at all no. uh they drive off in the back seat ed starts to throw up so he rolls the window down and what's that there's a zombie on top it grabs him by the neck uh they roll up the window and it chops the hand off the hand's still strangling ed he flings it off <laughs> they play hot potato with it for a second it grabs uh doc's dick <laughs> Which was kind of funny, yeah. I guess. Nah, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funnier to talk about than actually watching. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, finally, they get it off. They throw it out of the window, and yeah. then it, this is like straight Three Stooges shit. It's yeah, just, it flips them off as they're yeah. driving away. Which, to be fair, like that's also you could levy the same thing about a lot of the like the dismembered hand stuff in Evil Dead too. But mm-hmm. I don't know something about the way they execute this. Like I am not on their side, you know, it's like evil dead Two, a movie like that spends a lot of time getting me on board with the tone and what's happening. And Bruce Campbell can fucking act circles around all of these people. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, and you were saying to me off air too, that, um, the hand was the same hand, right? Yeah. Uh, that's like a sort of unconfirmed, but, uh, the, it's another thing I read in the book about this, uh, series, which I will, uh, pimp one more time for anybody who missed in the first episode, the complete history of uh, the return of the living dead. Uh, it's worth checking out if you're interested in these movies. Um, but yeah, I guess the work that they did on this hand, which was for this film, 
was uh, so solid that that this hand, this robotic hand, actually kind of made the rounds in Hollywood and shows up uh, in Evil Dead 2. It shows up in uh, much later on in the movie Idle Hands with Devin Sawa. Um, so this is where they start to connect it to the first movie. Joey in his like fever is like, I feel like I've been here before. And Ed's like, me too. It's like a dream. The whole thing, you and me and them. So they're, they're trying to give us an Easter egg, you know, whoopsie do. <laughs> uh, they get to an emergency room. The neighbor springs into action cause he's a doctor and uh, he starts examining Ed and Joey, and we really just get a repeat of the uh, paramedic scene from part one. It's kind of almost beat for beat. Yeah, and it's, again, it's just like diminishing returns all the way. Um, for some reason, they split up because Jesse really wants to find a police station. Uh, so Tom, his sister Lucy, and Jesse, they all go and find a police station, which is abandoned. Uh, and then just then the sister sees a group of people shambling down the middle of the street and of course calls out to them. Yeah. Wh- wh- why wouldn't you? Yeah. Why wouldn't you? You're running from zombies. You see 25 people in tatters <laughs> shuffling down the street. Of course you're going to call out to them to warn them of the zombies. Yeah. Um, so of course they're zombies. They get chased off in, back into the van. They go to the grandparents house who, uh, just have a stockpile full of guns. <laughs> they just smash the gun cabinet, which yeah. really, you know, gun cabinets, you know, I'm not going to talk about gun ownership and the responsibilities you have, but maybe just don't have a glass case yeah. that you can easily smash. Yeah. And we're, so this is like location. This is like suburban house location, like number four at this point. And like, it's this movie, Honestly, I was thinking about it just now. I had this epiphany. It's like he wants this to be like a like it's like a slamming doors farce or something where they're just constantly like leaving one place to go to another place to leave one place. Then they go to the next place. Yeah. And there's no reason to it. There's no rhyme. It's just like it's it's characters running around in circles just to give them something to do. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't they have just broken into the abandoned police station and got guns there? It's a great question. Uh, I don't – I honestly don't know. I, don't, I can't even think of a reason why the writer would be compelled to take them to the grandparents' house. It's not like we see zombie grandparents. There's no fucking payoff. Right. The big payoff we get is um, Billy tells Tom not to worry because Lucy, she's a junior class champion shooter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cla- yeah, because all high schools have uh, firearms. Firearms, <laughs> especially in California. <laughs> uh, it's not okay. the fucking Swiss Alps. So she says one of my favorite lines in the movie um, about. She starts to have this freak out at the grandparents' house. She says, "Those things are there. They're ugly, and they're dirty, and they're dumb." I don't even care if they're dead. I hate them. There's no way they're touching me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, Back at the hospital, the boys from part one arriving in pain. Uh, Jesse and everybody get back. And for some reason, Jesse starts poking around the hospital. He turns on this PA, which squeals and attracts a zombie who looks just like the guy from the Mighty Boosh uh, in in the British Bake Off. (laughs) 
You're um, right. You're you're correct. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Jesse pulls a gun on him and shoots him, which does nothing. Uh, and then there's a chase. He corners Jesse, but just then Tom and Lucy arrive, and they cut this zombie in half with a shotgun. The zombie torso is grabbing at Jesse, and the legs are running around. Yeah, uh, and the, it's and again, like similar to the first movie, we've got an amputee playing uh, a sawed-in-half zombie moving around on its arms, and it does look pretty cool. Yeah, it looks cool. It's probably the best part of the movie, honestly. Yeah. Um, but then the zombie torso grabs Jesse, and they're struggling, and of course he pulls in every every hospital. There's one of these. He pulls a steam valve. On a yeah. pipe, which From is just the steam there. pipe on the wall. Yeah, <laughs> and it just blasts the skin off the zombie. Uh, it looks cool, though. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I'm glad that that's something that they addressed uh, as a safety issue because in the 80s there were just steam <laughs> valves ready to boil the skin off of anybody who was dumb enough to open it open it up on the wall of just every major building. Yeah, I mean, it was an epidemic in the 80s. It was serious. Um, Brenda, Joey, and Ed sneak out, steal a van, hit the road, steal the van. Um, they pull up to some soldiers. Uh, did, and who? I have a question. Did we mm-hmm. did we have the Robert Palmer moment yet? I I lose track of what happens where in this movie. Have we have we gotten that soundtrack drop yet? I don't think so. I think that's when he hits him. He hits the zombie into the sign. Right? Okay. Yeah, I uh, might be wrong though, but maybe, maybe. Well, since I brought it up, we might as well get it out of the way now. Yeah, sure. There's so there is. If you go and look up the soundtrack to this movie, supposedly there is a an extensive soundtrack of of punk rock music, sort of aping the first film. But the first movie has like this really solid soundtrack of like legitimate punk, and this one is you can tell like from the very first scene we get this song i think it's called uh space hopper by a guy named (laughs) julian cope and it's like shitty 80s hair metal and it's just like right off the bat i'm i'm just thinking like okay this is a huge downgrade from the first movie but so yeah there's a soundtrack here island records nine songs on it anthrax is on here uh, some band called Mantronics, uh, Leatherwolf. It's like, and it's, I, for the life of me, couldn't locate any of these songs in this entire movie. I guess they're on the soundtrack, but you never hear them, mm-hmm. uh, as far as I could tell. I don't know if you were catching a lot of rock music coming in and out. Uh, to be honest, I wasn't really paying that close of attention to the <laughs> to the. Um, yeah, well, the reason I brought this all up soundtrack. is because. Because this movie has the world's cheapest, shittiest fucking score. And the soundtrack is a bunch of bands with the exception of Anthrax that no one's ever heard of before. I'm sorry if you're a member of Leatherwolf. I don't mean, <laughs> insult, I don't mean to insult your livelihood. Please but, keep listening. But then out of nowhere, in the middle of this movie, we just get half of the entire length of the song, uh, of the Robert Palmer song uh, with Dr. Doctor, Give Me the News. Which it's it's it like makes no fucking sense. No, it, like thematically it has nothing to do with anything. And and I'm just I'm listening to it and I'm thinking, is this this is like three quarters of the budget for music of this whole movie? It's just blown, <laughs> just so that they could blast some ro- some Robert Palmer right in the middle. <laughs> so, anyways, that's a complete total non sequitur about music that Eric might cut when he edits this podcast. But no, I won't. I I'm gonna keep I my won't. fingers crossed. Hey, thanks, buddy. Um. 
So they pull up some soldiers who pull their guns on them. One of them is Mitch Pileggi from uh, X-Files. Skinner. Yeah. Uh, Ed turns into a zombie, bites one of the soldiers' brains. Um, I have a feeling that the character, the uh, actor who played Ed, James Karen, did not want to have fake blood in his mouth because <laughs> it is ketchup. Like yeah. there, It doesn't look like any of the other fake blood. It looks like ketchup. Yeah. Um, I so welcome then, this moment because uh, Ed, like James Karen borders on getting a little too hysterical in the first movie. Uh-huh. He just rides that line. But for most of this movie, he is honestly just playing it way too over the top. And he's just like he and he and Joey have one note through all of this, which is just whining about how whining, you know, turning into zombies. And it's just like it gets old really fast. So, frankly, I was happy to see him turn and be done with it. Uh, the soldiers drive off. There's one dead, so that brings the body count up to three. Uh, Brenda drives off with Joey and leaves Ed there. Uh, meanwhile, zombies – you just cut to these zombies tearing apart a pet store. Um, it's it's strange. You just hear, like, yelping and, like, it's animal sounds. Yeah. It really is. It, it just seems out of place. Um, so then the rest of the heroes, we have Lucy – the doctor, Tom, and Jesse are in an ambulance. Uh, Tom rams a zombie into a sign, and it gets electrocuted. So there we go. We have our solution here. Electricity kills them. Yeah, the zombie goes down and does not get back up. And this is this is in, in part one and part two, the first time we've ever seen uh, a, a sort of solution for uh killing a zombie yeah a solution that doesn't involve just making more zombies yeah um so in brenda's car joey's making these crazy noises in the back seat and he turns into a zombie uh she stops the car and just like with tina in the first movie he starts to convince her that he should let her she, he, she should let him eat her brains and he says they smell so good <laughs> wait look at may i yeah i'm gonna try to yeah this line is fucking insane <laughs> yeah he's chasing her around where are they're like in a church or something like that at this yeah point? they get to a yeah. church yeah yeah it's it, i mean again it's just like location number 17 that doesn't matter where they are remember when they were in a hospital 20 minutes ago like i forgot because it, it did, did nothing yeah it didn't matter uh yeah so he's chasing her through the pews and he goes Oh, Brenda, I want to eat your brains. They smell so rich and spicy. <laughs> and he sounds like that. That's what he sounds like. This movie yeah. is fucking stupid. <laughs> brains spicy. Ugh. Rich and spicy brains. Yeah. So, I mean, I've never had human brains, so I don't no. want to say, you know, he's wrong. But it's it's honestly, it's kind of a it's, – it's such an insane line that I, I got – I smiled at least because it was so <laughs> over the top. Yeah. Uh, so she says, okay, okay, okay. Take me, baby. And he bites her head like a goddamn apple. Yeah. Bring, bringing the body count up to four. Uh, Tom, Jesse, and Lucy decide that if these zombies want brains, we're going to give them brains. Cut to a meat packing plant. Uh, so they get to this meat packing plant. For whatever reason, they leave Jesse, a young boy, <laughs> outside to keep watch. Yeah, while they go inside, a shitty young boy who everyone just wants to lock in a room. Yeah, it's a horrible plan. Um, we get a couple of the soldiers from before. 
Uh, they confront some zombies. It really just feels like they're trying to get some more carnage in the movie because they shoot at this crowd of zombies. Uh, of course, they fall, but they get back up again, and then they kill the soldiers off camera, bringing the body count up to six. Uh, <clears throat> Jesse at the meatpacking plant hears a car coming. It's just a car full of zombies. They're out for a joyride. <laughs> They're swerving all over the road. There's like nine zombies in a in a convertible. Yeah, it's, it's like hanging out of the side of it. Yeah, uh, it's they're they're partying, which yeah. is like, uh, as far as we know, these zombies are all in horrible pain and need to eat brains to make that pain go away. Yeah, except for this car of party zombies. <laughs> I guess I'm sort of a party zombie. <laughs> at the end of the day, um, Jesse runs off. They're ch- chasing him with his car. Uh, okay, so this is my second favorite line. Okay. Again, said by the sister. Uh, his sister notices that he's gone, and uh, she's like, I told him, I told him, and, and Tom says, don't worry, we'll find him. And then she says, maybe I don't want to find him. And he sa- Tom says, I think you do. And then she says, I bet you think I'm a real idiot, don't you? No, I, I think you're great. Just this whole thing, maybe I don't want to find him? It's his god. It's her brother. Yeah. Uh, the, the exchange makes no sense, but I will give it to Dan Ashbrook. He actually does – a pretty good job in this movie. I think he's the best actor in this film. Yeah, for sure. Um, so then Tom immediately finds Jesse in another instance of just missed tension. Um, so here's their big plan. They steal a meat truck and they're throwing brains to the zombies who are following them in a like a, tr- a big trail. It's like a they're, Pied Piper kind of situation. Yeah, like they're yeah. throwing candy out at a parade, and all the zombies are following them. They drive the meat packing truck, the meat truck, to a power plant, and the zombies are right behind them. Uh, Tom times it and closes the fence behind them, so they're all trapped in this in the middle of these transformers. Uh, he drives the truck in the middle, and he starts laying some wires in the puddles while this fence is holding back the zombies. Zombie Billy, who I didn't mention, but previously has been like stalking Jesse the entire movie. Yeah. As if they have some sort of blood vendetta. Yeah. It's a plot point that makes no sense. It's very cheap. Um, he climbs the fence and lets all the zombies in. they come in in a big wave. So our heroes have to hide inside the truck and uh, Jesse's the only one small enough to fit out of the little hatch. And so he does a bunch of business where he gets in the car, drives it, um, crashes through the wall. There's a big chase scene where Billy, zombie Billy, chases Jesse to the roof of the power plant, grabs him. And Jesse takes a screwdriver uh, that's just chilling in a belt next to him and, and stabs him through the roof of the mouth and throws him over the side of the building. And says, that's what that's why you're dead. No brains and a big mouth. But he's not dead. Of course, none of these zombies just die from that. Right. Um he chases Jesse around more. But then finally, right at the last minute, Jesse throws the power. All the zombies get electrocuted with this blue electricity that's like drawn on. It looks really cool. I actually like Yeah, it's all hand drawn. It's not it's not animated. Uh it's like hand animated. It's not any kind of CG. Yeah. It looks great. Uh, I do feel bad for the actors who have to like the extras who are just like jiggling. 
Yeah, one of which uh, is oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, a, a look-alike for Michael Jackson in Thriller in just such a cheesy fucking shot. It's literally like just a wide shot of all these zombies getting electrocuted. And then this Michael Jackson zombie marches into the middle of the frame, turns to the camera and starts being electrocuted. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like it, Christ, it's, it's like something from a college sketch video. It's does he moonwalk in my memory? Yes. He yeah. He does some like dances and guess who's playing the Michael Jackson zombie. Our favorite. Oh, your friend, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brian Singer's best friend, uh, <laughs> Brian Peck. Yeah. Uh, Return of the Living Dead's resident pedophile. Yeah. <laughs> he plays Scuzz in the first one. And yeah. he's playing a pedophile in this one, too, so that tracks. Hey, I didn't even think about that. Um, so the zombies are dead. The army finally arrives. And our heroes walk off into the moonlight end of movie right uh yeah oh no you know what there's one more thing what the zombie head that had the screwdriver in it is somehow there it rolled there apparently and it's not dead it didn't just get electrocuted like all the other dead zombies no it's alive yeah and uh so the army approaches it with a flamethrower and she says Oh, come on, guys. Back off that thing. I got gas. Don't hit a girl when she's down. And then they torture her with the flamethrower. And she says, still alive. Jesus Christ. Okay, no more brains. You win. For now. Hmm. End credits. Wow. And that is Return of the Living Dead Part 2. Wow. Wow. Yep, we got a movie there, folks. Yeah, well, that was a whole movie. That was a whole, it was an entire movie <laughs> with zombies in it called Ugh. Return of the Living Dead Part Two. All right, uh, let's uh, let's you want to bang through this wrap up here? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so we, the body counts by my count. Uh, you know, I am not without my mistakes. <laughs> I've made a lot of mistakes in my day, but I, uh, for my count, six people die. Pretty low body count. Low body to the count, last and movie. also very bloodless. I think. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of good. Man, good is relative in this movie. There's a couple of gore shots. Yeah, which you like got... you you almost want this to be a PG thirteen movie. I mean, I don't want it to be, but it feels like it. Is, right, you know? right, right. With some violence that kind of just like. Right, makes I would say R. almost without the hospital scene in the middle. Uh, that's, I mean, that's the only thing that really smacks of, like, decent gore in this whole movie. Um, so, who is your favorite character, Mike? Ugh, Jesus. Uh, it's hard to pick. Yeah. I have uh, one, if you, if you want yeah, me to go first. Yeah, why don't you go first? Uh, it would have to be Tom. Dana yeah. Ashbrook, Bobby Briggs. He's uh, by far. Yeah, Tom's pretty good. Uh, since you stole the best answer, I'm going to go with Mitch Pileggi's Sarge. <laughs> um, he's a hard ass army guy. And, you know, I've never thought like, I mean, Skinner's a fine character. I love the X-Files. I never thought that much one way or the other about Mitch Pledge's uh, acting ability. But yeah. honestly, in this scene with him and these two other cheap army guys, I'm just like, oh yeah, this guy's a better actor than most of the people in this film. Yeah. He's a welcoming presence, even though it's pretty brief. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, okay, so next we have what is the moment in this film that you think aged worst? We have a lot of older films on this show. Uh, what hasn't held up over the years since the late eighties here? Well, in my opinion, it's not one moment, but it is the look in the over rottenness of the zombies. The mm-hmm. the animatronics it just you'd rather just have a guy in some makeup than what they ended up doing. It just looks like a Disney ride or something, like a Halloween Disney ride. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing has the feel of like it's more Pirates of the Caribbean than it is like real horror movie. Right, yes. Exactly. And that comes through in the in the comedy too. It's just it's for kids. Yeah. Um, what about for you? For me, I think uh, I've I've already harped on it enough. The mo- the thing that has aged the worst for me about this movie is the score. Um, the soundtrack is not great either, but it also like barely crops up during the movie. But the original mm-hmm. score for this film is so cheap and just dates it so badly. Uh, it's hard to take the movie seriously, and I would say. You know, if you want to know what I'm talking about, you don't have to watch this whole movie. Just watch the first 10 minutes and see if it like really like if you're like me, it just jarred me right out of any chance of getting into the tone of a, of a horror movie. Um, so it being a horror movie, there are some deaths. We kind of covered that. But what is your favorite death of the movie? Uh, I'm going to cheat a little bit here, as I did on the last episode, too. Um my favorite death is not a person. It's actually one of the zombies. And I will say that the hospital sequence, the zombie getting blown in half with a shotgun and then melted by conveniently placed wall steam uh, (laughs) is I think probably the best executed effects of this movie. And for a brief shining moment for 90 seconds, I felt like maybe I was in a, you know, in an Italian, uh, like Shades of Lamberto Bava, maybe, or, uh, you know, Lucio Fulci. It felt like a a better, more interesting zombie movie for that brief moment. Sure. I think for mine, it's right at the very end. Uh, It's that flamethrower, man. Now, um, (laughs) when the zombies are being electrocuted, there's one zombie that his eyes just explode out of his head. It looks pretty, pretty sweet. Um, so on Killstreak, we like to rate how scary a movie is on our patented Carpenter scale. And uh, Mike, why don't you give a brief rundown of so what that in ca- means? In case you're not familiar with the Carpenter scale, we love John Carpenter. He's made a lot of great movies. Some of them, very scary. Up at the top of the scale, your 10s, your 9s, you got The Thing, you got Halloween. Down at the other end of the scale, zeros, ones, you're looking at an Elvis TV movie. You're looking at (laughs) Starman, sexy Mm -hmm. alien Jeff Bridges. Not very Mm -hmm. scary. So, Eric, where on the Carpenter scale of frights does this movie land for you? Well, I think for me, I'll probably have to give this a Starman. This is a solid Starman. It's not scary at all. Uh, that's fair. I think I think uh, I mostly agree with you. Um, I'm going to say that it is a horror movie. There's a couple of deaths that are pretty gruesome. Uh, if I was a child, I guess, watching this, mm-hmm. it might scare me a little bit. But, I mean, for a horror movie, it's pretty damn weak. 
Uh, so I am going to say that this is an Eyes of Laura Mars on the John Carpenter scale. Okay, okay. Uh, and just to remind our listeners, I brought it up last time. Starman did scare me as a child. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. It really unsettled me for some yeah, reason. Yeah, the bone growth thing. I get the it. bone growth thing. Down. It's really that bone growth thing. I think you're also just afraid of true love. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Uh, All right. So lastly, then, yeah, yeah. Last, well, we have another thing after that. Um, okay. Does this movie, if you were to watch Return of the Living Dead series, and you only had a limited amount of time, should you just skip this one, or is it worth your time? Uh, please don't watch this movie unless you're feeling like you're in a real completist kind of mood. It is not worth your time. Yep, it's completely skippable. I agree. So our final segment, we're going to play a little music here. Ooh. Maybe. Maybe I'll cut that part out and say <laughs> that there's music here. Wuss. <laughs> Welcome to the video store. Uh, take a look at our end caps, which we have carefully curated with this movie in mind. This is the Staff Picks. Yeah, I actually worked in a video store. It was my second ever job. I was oh, in so high jealous. school. I loved That's, it. That is the dream the dream yeah. job in high school. It was a mom and pop store. Uh, I was one of their most avid customers as like a 12 and 13 year old. And when I turned 15 and could get a work permit, they were like, you want to work here, right? And I was like, fuck yeah. They ma- you made everybody call you pop. That's right. And I, they had hey. an amazing collection of behind the counter hardcore pornography. I was just, that was, <laughs> yeah. I was about to interrupt you to ask to see if they had some porno in there. I, I mean, I would say that I grew up too fast, but Christ, kids these days, <laughs> the shit they've got access to. I know, I know. I was, it was practically puritanical. I was just thinking the other day about how the first, my first real like dalliance with nudity in a movie is that mm-hmm. I, snu- I snuck out of my room after my parents were asleep to watch a copy of tango and cash that we had taped off of hbo and i fast forwarded to the part where uh, i believe it's tango or cash i don't remember which is in (laughs) kurt russell is in the is in the strip club uh changing room and Uh boy oh boy oh yeah that was a big moment for me that's pretty fun. Well, thanks. As someone who worked in a video store, you guys may be familiar with this phenomenon, but every once in a while you'll have a customer come in, they'll grab something off the shelf and it's just shit. And, you know, some some people are are perfectly content to keep their mouth shut, check a customer out, send them on their way. Not me. When I worked in a video store, I was that teenager that said, "Hey, you know what? That movie sucks." But if you're interested in something like that, could I perhaps steer you towards? Uh, and then you get your staff picks. So, Eric, if you were trying to deter a video store customer from renting Return of the Living Dead Part 2, what would you suggest to them instead? I would say you would be better off renting Peter Jackson's 1992 movie, Dead Alive, sometimes called Brain Dead Overseas. It is a, a comedy with zombies. It's f- way funnier. It gets the slapstick right. It's way, way gorier. One of the goriest movies ever. It's great. Yeah. And you've got that especially early Peter Jackson energy. uh, And that just – it makes me want to rewatch it right now, actually. Yeah. It's one of my favorite movies. I could not agree with that recommendation more. 
Um, for me, I'm thinking, okay, I don't want to take you too far out of the course that you're on trying to get this movie. So I'm saying, okay, let's keep it 80s. We'll keep it comedy. We'll keep it zombies. And what I landed on is uh, Fred Decker's Night of the Creeps, which we mentioned earlier. Yeah, uh, that's a great movie. So this one came out a couple years before Return of the Living Dead Part 2. It's 1986. It's a little sci-fi, a little horror, but it definitely has like a strong zombie theme. Um, if you guys have ever seen um, James Gunn's movie Slither, it takes a ton of cues from this movie. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to spoil too much of the plot, but there's aliens, there's slugs, there's zombies. It there's college frat parties. It's funny. It's gross. It's weird. It has one of my all-time favorite performances from Tom Atkins. Tom Atkins, yeah. Um, yeah, I, so definitely, if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. I've stolen the way he answers phones in that what? movie. What? Give it to me. Thrill me. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's a really it, – it, uh, couldn't agree with that recommendation more. Fantastic. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for uh, – slogging through return of the living dead part two with us uh next up we've got return of the living dead three shocker there mm -hmm. yeah directed by by uh brian yuzna it's uh it's an interesting movie we're, we're gonna talk in depth about that next time and um i said it last time i'll say it again it's streaming for free on the website and app tubi t-u-b-i that's how i watched it uh i really recommend that also streaming there is another Yeti a love story, Life on the Streets, the exploitation comedy that I made with Mike Price in it. Yeah, if you I'll guys stop are... plugging that movie soon. It's <laughs> no, the second episode. I gotta get, get it. to episode seventy three. It's like, <laughs> do you guys watch another Yeti a love story? Yet? Uh, yeah. So in this one, we'll be covering the uh, Yeti a love story series. <laughs> uh, so that's it for this episode. We really enjoyed doing it. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. Um, if you have any questions or suggestions for us, you can email us at killstreakpod at gmail.com. And I've said it before, and I will say it every time, even though you're sick of hearing it. If you like the show, rate us and review us on iTunes. There is nothing that helps this podcast get out to a bigger audience more than that. If you're friends of ours, even more reason to do it. Uh, mm -hmm. Please, for the mm -hmm. love of God, help us out. We're desperate here. I'm just kidding. It's episode two. We'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and as a reminder, guys, this is the way we sign off every single week. Those things are there. They're ugly and they're dumb. I don't even care if they're dead. I hate them and there's no way that they're touching me. <laughs>